Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Lapsis today, which is a film you're very unlikely to have heard of. It's a low-budget sci-fi uh, written and directed by this guy Noah Hutton, mm. who we were just discovering. He's, he's only about my age, he's a little bit older than I am. Mm. But we were just discovering he's the stepson of Alice Howard, who is not a huge name, but we've seen him in a couple of things. He was Louis B. Mayer in Mank recently. Mm. And then you then discovered... Well, he's the son of Deborah Winger, who Mike didn't know who she was, no. but who, of course, any true cinephile would know as the great star and actress of the 1980s in films like Terms of Endearment and Urban Cowboy and An Officer and a Gentleman, real kind of blockbuster films of the early 80s. And, of course, Timothy Hutton, yeah, mm. Oscar winner for Ordinary People and, and so on. But anyway, we didn't know this going in. It's not a reason to have seen the film. No. I had never heard of it. It's just something that, you know, Mike pointed out as, as being interesting. And I did find it interesting. So did I. So this cropped up on Twitter. I think Matt Zoller Sites had, he put out a tweet saying this is good. And I just, and because I like this whole world that there is of low budget sci-fi slash horror this isn't a horror but you know they're involved mm. they're, they're tied in a lot of times it's where you get a lot usually the acting isn't good in these films I think that's different here I think yes. this does have good performances but usually as, if, as long as you can look past the acting um, there tends to be good ideas in these films they tend to be quite creative even if they're rubbish like I, I saw a film not long ago back when cinemas were open called Countdown which was this thing about an app that counts down your life mm. And then if you try and hack... Because most people say, oh, 50 years, and it's fine. And then someone says, oh, 12 days, and they go, no. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so they try and hack it, and then like when they hack into the app, it, right. it takes time off, and then it turns out there's like Latin sort of satanic mass stuff in the in the code. It's stupid. <laughs> but, but still, just an idea that it's kind of crazy, and, and you get... There's a lot of freedom for that in, in horror and sci-fi mm. of a low budget. This is definitely a step smarter than that kind of thing. And here's a spoilable film, so I'll say what I can without spoiling the plot. This guy, let me get the actor. Uh, Dean Imperial plays Ray, who is undeniably a James Gandolfini type. I When I when I saw it, I thought, is this an old James Gandolfini film initially? Because yeah. when you look at him closely, there's almost no resemblance, actually. You know, but there was something about the body posture. The voice seems identical. Voice is absolutely right. directly um, spot on. So, so... I did wonder, uh, and of course he's not, but he gives a very good performance, I think, this person. Yeah, so do I. So, um, it's a film about the gig economy, to some extent. Mm. It really shares a kinship with Sorry to Bother You, the mm. Boots Riley film, and, in a more realistic sense, Sorry We Missed You, mm. the um, Ken Loach film. But it's set in a, in a near future, right? So there's things about quantum computing has come in, and people are being hired to literally drag cables and lay them across all of America so that this quantum computing network like seems to be like a kind of Google-level kind of super entity mm. can make its money. It's, there's, there's an element of unexplained MacGuffin to it, right? You never really find out what this company's but about. It has, th that thing has a resonance because, so for example, I remember um, being a grad student in Vancouver and people would earn their keep, in a way, for the rest of the year by going tree planting. Mm. I, you know, if you went in the forest for four months, you could earn enough money tree planting to cover all the rest of your expenses in Vancouver for the rest of the year, yeah? Mm. Uh, because it was like a hardship pay, yeah? You were out in the mountains, on, yeah? 
and so on. So, so actually, the landscape and the, yeah, the cable resonates with those kinds of yeah. yeah. So there's a lot that kind of feels really relatable, and it just removes it one step from real life. But basically, these people are doing the same kind of things that people are doing mm. in real life today. And there's an element of having to rely on your own devices, like uh, this thing about having to use your own smartphone mm. to connect to the GPS to help you. You're constantly being watched as you're walking this cable through the forest, it seems like. There are drones getting ready to drop more cable for you. There are these automated robots doing the same job that are chasing you, essentially. And if they overtake you, then you won't get paid. Mm. So you have to keep up a certain pace. And what develops is... Uh, an understanding of a kind of... It would be too much to say it's a conspiracy because the film doesn't go into enough enough depth about the details of what these people are up to. Mm. What the focus really is on the people who are working for them and an attempt to fight back and assert their human rights, mm. essentially, in the face of these this monopoly. Mm. So I think the world building is, is really good and I think... Dean Imperial's performance is a huge part of that because you feel through him someone being enlightened to this. Yes. He goes in not having any understanding or sympathy for the working class or uh, unionisation or anything like that. And he starts to learn it. And I think it's quite organic. I don't think it's so organic. I mean, it wasn't bothersome to me. But it is one of those things where you see the wheels churning. Mm. You know, you do see the Western Union message coming along. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so I wish that there had been more of a discovery. Um, I mean, I think the film is a little bit smug in its kind of Mm. position. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a politics I share and I admire and I'm glad to see circulated. But there is a kind of both you know, a smugness to its telling. And also, you do see the wheels turning. You can see the mechanics of it, yeah. I, I think, think you can, but I think in the performance, what I'm talking about is a is a kind of... I, I never felt like the performance or the construction of the character was, like, didactic. No, but there's a difference between uh, the... Uh, is it Dean Imper- Imperial? Dean Imperial's the actor. Uh, and... The woman whom he meets, yeah, kind of, who's the actress, um, the blonde, tall mm-hmm. woman. Madeline Wise plays Anna. Yeah, because I think that performance is a smug, knowing, let me teach you. Mm. It's it's that kind of character, but then it's not humanized or warmed up by the actress. No. You know? so, 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 so the film has that that tone of, you know, let us lead you on to truth, <laughs> which I kind of resent. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Though um, I'm glad to see it. Yeah. I have this, this mixed feeling to it because I'm glad to see it, but really, like, A, be a bit more humble <laughs> and be a bit better. Yeah, because actually if the film had had more life and drive, if it pulsated with other things, mm. you know, you wouldn't have noticed that, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's towards the end of the film that it started to lose me. And I think it's when it starts to introduce... I think when it starts to actually introduce more drive, this thing about... I guess we're getting into spoiler territory here. Um, this thing about shutting down the automated robots that yes. are threatening their kind of way of life, or their, well, their way of life, but their way of working, um, and, and their pay. It wants to develop some narrative drive around that, but there isn't enough interest as to... 
the mechanism of shutting these things down or how various plot strands interrelate. So you've got this thing about Ray having his uh, GPS, so his medallion. It's like a it's like a New York City cab medallion, right? Mm. The thing that gives him the right to be out there working. His medallion, he didn't get to choose his own name. His name is Lapsis... Uh, <laughs> was it Lapsis Beef Tech? Yeah, something like that. Lapsis Beef Tech. And it turns out people know this Lapsis Beef Tech, right? He's this guy who was one of the original cable guys and he developed a way for he developed new ai for the robots which make them better and he's basically become a, a folk enemy yeah. to everyone there so there's that's that's one plot strand right who who is this lapsus where did this medallion come from why has he got it mm. you get the thing about the people that he's working for so ray didn't go in completely honestly into this business he was got in there by his friend mm. his friend wants his 30 percent. that's not going to happen there's a thing about uh, an investigation it, he gets this huge job for a hundred thousand dollars which is a lot more than you would get after two days doing this job when he completes the job he doesn't get paid and so these various strands you feel like they're going to cohere and the film wants to bring them together in a way that I, that it just fails to yeah i think I maybe mean, it doesn't want to maybe it doesn't want to because it doesn't actually try to do some of them it, it does the thing about shutting down the robots and finding out who Lapsis is and going to his shop. So there's there's this kind of drive for a conspiracy narrative there. But some of the other stuff, it just wants to leave as world-building, I guess. Yes. And, I, I mean, some of the things that it leaves open, how do you explain the end? I didn't really quite know. It, it ended in a way that made me think it had ten minutes to go. Yes, me too. <laughs> 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 yes. So the machines are not quite shut down, or you know. Or, yeah. I mean, I thought that was banal. I mean, I'm making it sound. I did enjoy the film, and you know, it, I think it, it's it's a it, it is a very interesting idea, and I was quite taken with it. Mm. You know, but I also thought that it was one of those films that felt thin, and it felt thin image wise. Yeah, like I don't think the images are carrying enough weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this film, uh, and it felt thin, concept-wise. Yeah, so I mean, you know, kind of I hear you praising the world building. And I think, well, you know, I I think that could have been better. That could have been richer, right? You know, so yes, it's kind of you know a world where we're all under surveillance, and it is a gig economy. You know, and it's a world where, like, kind of everything is being taken away and even health is now a scam, you know, not only expensive, but a scam, you know. But somehow, it does. it's not enough. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are these children that are living down the hill and what are they like? And, mm-hmm. you know, what, where does this resistance movement come in? And what are the relationships amongst people? So we see, you know, one of the, one of the women who initially brings... Uh, the uh, protagonist into the, the the game ends up being a resistance person. And But what's about the other one? And what are the relationships between all of them? And, you know, I mean, that's a, a better film would have done all of that, mm. you know. And this is kind of... It, it wants to leave it there as something that you ask questions about and feel... And, yeah, this like, indications that the world is richer than it's actually executing. Mm. Um, what carried me through... Because I, I do share those criticisms. Um, what carried me through is the character of Ray. Because yes. I find him very sympathetic and understandable. Yes. He's really legible. You understand what this guy... You, it starts off with this kind of near-future world where he doesn't want this quantum computer. Mm. So you have this opening scene where 
Um, he's double parked. It's alternate lane, alternate side parking, the thing they have in America that we don't do here, um, where you can park on one side and then the other. And he's parked on the wrong side. And it turns out that the reason he's parked on the wrong side is because he doesn't have the right kind of computer to access the system. So again, you get this thing that is quite relatable of the, the government or the local authority has set up a system in a way that you need to, mm. you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not easy for you, right? It's not accessible to regular people. But the thing about the character is you, you get like, oh, he, he, he's suspicious of modern technology, right? Mm. That's quite a relatable thing. Um, and he's also not very used to it. So as he starts to have to use this, as he takes on the cabling job, he doesn't know how to use his GPS thing. He doesn't know how to pair it. He keeps on needing help. That kind of stuff is really, mm. really relatable and sympathetic. And the way in which the world kind of... It's, it's the world around him and the way he just kind of is trying to make his way through it you know that he takes on a job to pay for his brother's health care he doesn't quite understand what his brother's got but it's something really shitty i really love the scene where the job for a hundred grand comes up on his device because there's real tension to that right he's, mm. he's thinking what's this job about and am i going to take it and then these three other people come and he has to take it as soon as he can and there was some real tension mm. to that and now he's got himself into something that you know he wasn't necessarily expecting. He's left to fend for himself in these woods. Mm. He needs to take advice from whoever he can. And some people are quite hostile to him because he keeps on telling them his username that he shouldn't be doing because they all know this lapsus guy. Mm. He, so he's the guy who, like everything that happened to him and the way he handled everything around him, I felt uh, was really believable. But he's one of the few good things about the film because actually the more I think about it now... You know, those scenes that you're just mentioning, the woods where other people know who Lapsus is, but he he doesn't. I mean, that could have been rendered more successful, more exciting. You know, you could have had kind of moments of humor or, or danger and violence within them. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like, the, I think the film makes nothing of those, really. It tries to achieve most of its effects through dialogue, mm. doesn't it? It doesn't do a lot with action. Mm. Um, most of the action is walking mm. and looking at the canopy of trees. <laughs> I mean, I quite, I suppose I quite like the, um, when he's talking to the girl, Anna, mm. and their GPS is sent on different routes and you're with him and she's in the background having to go a different way. And they want, and she, he wants to talk to her still. He wants to get closer to her. And as he goes off the route, the GPS says, you're going off your route, get back on your route. Mm. So he can't again. I think that's, that's quite a clever sort of, um, you know, effective bit of filmmaking where, like, this, the, the job and the surveillance is keeping them from mm. <laughs> the connection and, and sharing their information and all that kind of thing. Mm. That was a nice bit of... Yeah. I have a question for you, because one of the things that I really don't understand the film, about the film, is actually the main plot point, which is, you know, those machines that overtake them, uh, cabling, and they lose their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? So... I can understand that disabling that machine is kind of something good to do. But but th- those machines seem to bear a kind of a symbolic uh, uh, weight that is greater than just the thing about the cabling. Yeah. So is it just about the cabling? I mean... You mean within the... I think within the film, within the context of the film, the threat that the robots pose is the thing about these are the you won't get paid if you don't do your job as good as this six-legged robot and what didn't make sense to me about them and a question is a question that the film doesn't satisfactorily satisfactorily answer is 
what the use to the this overarching company is of having these robots and the people. Because at one point, your main character does ask, you know, why don't they just have the robots then? Which mm. is such an obvious question to ask. And she says, well, the robots sometimes get stuck. They can't get over this, that, and the other, so they have people as well. But the question it then doesn't answer is, why do they um, have you compete with them, mm. right? And in a on, on like a higher level where you're looking at the film as analogy and metaphor, it makes sense, right? Like you, the, the company is basically treating people the same as robots mm. and kind of stripping you of your humanity. It's making your job into this time trial, you know, which again, I think relates to, it's, it's something very relatable to things like the gig economy where we saw in Sorry We Missed You, mm. the thing about making all of your deliveries on time and mm. if you don't do that you don't get paid and you know these are very real things that mm. that people have to handle in the gig economy but the way that's turned into an analogy in this film doesn't quite make sense in context no it's just not integrated well enough it's not made sense enough of because it says no we do need humans because the robots can't do this that, and the other but it never shows you a robot organically failing to do its job mm. right it shows you the people trapping them mm. and forcing them to, to, to fail but it 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 doesn't make enough sense. No, it doesn't. So, um, I, th- I didn't mind seeing it. I kind of enjoyed mm-hmm. it. You know, and I like films that are about ideas. Um, and this is a film that is, you know, about ideas that are worth talking about. Uh, and it also has a left politic, I would say, or a liberal politics. Not too left, but left enough. It's know? a politics that in America counts as left. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. so, so, so basic ideas of unionizing, of fighting against the powers that be that control you through their money and power and monopoly, hmm. you know. So I appreciated all of that. I just wish it had been better. Yeah, so do I. Um, I guess I make kind of allowances for films of low budget and small sure. production. Um, because I do think, I do think its strengths are in the writing and performance as writing in the dialogue sense, I mean, maybe mm. maybe I want more from the um, from the the way it tr- tries to bring its ideas together, or fails, to, or doesn't want to try. I think the film's been lucky in the actors it's attracted. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, um, I I do think even a low budget film, um, you know, if I think, for example, compared to Weekend, that I don't know, cost thirty thousand pounds or whatever, you know, there's just so much imagination and control. You know, in films like that. So, you What's know, weekend? it's a British uh, gay film about two men who meet one night in Nottingham. You know, what happens subsequently. It's kind of filmed with a Canon camera, really low budget. You Is know? this the thing you watched recently? No, but it's very similar. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I watched End of the Century last night. Uh, which is a Spanish film, but it's kind of based, you could see the resemblances to Weekend, yeah? Okay. Um, so, you know, those are two low-budget films, uh, small character pieces, really. Um, yeah, kind of, this film could have made up mm. for its budget with more imagination, and actually, I would also argue more skill. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, um, its strength is in evoking Amelia. Yeah. And a society and a way that society is organised that forces people to work in certain ways, to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. The fact that he can't pay for his son's or his brother's health care, he needs to take on a job to do so, mm. this kind of job that's offered, all that kind of thing. That stuff, the, the building blocks, I think, are quite strong. It doesn't build enough out of them. Mm. That said, I would look forward to whatever 
Noah Hutton. Yeah, uh, does next, actually. Hmm. And Dean Imperial. Well, yes, I, I want to see him. I think he's a star, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and, and he's kind of interesting because in some angles he's very handsome or, han- you know, yeah. And he, he's got a kind of a sexy, you know, <laughs> beefy thing going on, right? But, you know, he's kind of bald and a bit fat and, mm. and actually it's wonderful to see someone like that. And he's very charismatic with it and attractive with it, yeah, and energetic with it. So he livens up, you yeah, know, he kind does. of the thing. You know who he so. reminded me of? He, Patrick Wilson, who was, ah. he was Night Owl in Watchmen, and he's been in loads of other stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you put a beard and sort of shades on Patrick Wilson uh. and, gave him, uh. <laughs> and gave him James Gandolfini's voice and attitude, Man. that's this guy. All right. Well, anyway, I hope to see a lot more of him. So I think this is it. We should wrap up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I kind of, you know, I do recommend that people see it, but don't expect too much, you know, but nonetheless, kind of, you know, an interesting perspective and an interesting voice. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>